0: Playing and being a part of a huge alpha male world that was definitely not something you spoke about
1: hey guys it's delia here if you're new to the podcast welcome and if you're a regular listener welcome back three quick things from me before we get into the episode i'm really excited to share this Um, conversation with you there's just a couple of things I have to warn you of I'm back in Melbourne visiting from London um, recording these conversations so it was great to sit down with Lance in person last week it is an intense conversation and there's uh, some gesticulation going on including hitting the table and I annoyingly put the microphone in a spot where it picks that sound up so if you hear that sound throughout the podcast that's what it is and i hoping that by telling you that that's what the sound is it makes it um less disruptive to your listening i really hope it doesn't get in the way of you hearing the conversation because i think it's really important and on that note i uh want to warn you that we are talking about substance abuse and suicide so please be mindful of that before continuing to listen And last thing, thanks again for your support uh, with this podcast, especially for sharing it, sharing the conversations with people after you listen. Um, That is the biggest way that the podcast grows. So please continue doing that if you found this conversation helpful and you know, especially if you know someone who's struggling who might benefit from listening to it. You can also feel free to review it if you want. And if you don't want to miss future episodes, then um, whichever podcast app you're listening to, there should be some kind of follow or subscribe button. I think that helps the podcast grow as well. So thanks again. And on to the episode. Okay. Yeah. Because how this came about was my friend heard you speak at Old Scotch. Club. Yeah and he said something that stuck with me that i don't even know if it's something you said but i've been it's been helping me so much which is something like that you depression feel like having experienced all this feeling suicidal and whatever it is something that you just constantly manage even after getting out of like the really dark time but yep. you Every day, it's like taking your medicine. That you do these things in the morning. Okay, so that's true. Yeah. So I've been thinking that because I've had a rough couple of weeks, mm. and I'm like, okay, dearly, this is your medicine. Go yep. for a walk yep. outside, meditate,
0: yep
1: take omega three, like whatever it is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Like tr- have a green juice because this is part of your medicine, and this is what you
0: have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, you. Yeah. Are we going? Or are you? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. The thing is more about the talking that, that it's a, you give yourself the opportunity of the, the framework, right? So your self-care process. And no matter where you're at on the, on the continuum, you know, whether you're flourishing or whether you're languishing or whether you're right in the middle and just you know, going through the different challenges, you talk about people play the victim in this world because they don't give themselves the opportunity to be better. Right, so and that's how I look at it, and that's how I see it, and that's how I feel it, and that's how I act it, and understanding that fact that you know, from you give yourself every opportunity from when you wake up, and if that's four o'clock in the morning, which you know I do, go do my meditation, go to the gym, you know, it's walk or whatever it might be. That starts off my day, my knowing that I've actually given myself opportunity to have a good day because I've done that. Well, I have those days where I don't do that, but that's perfectly fine because I need to read my body and I need to read my mind and I need to be able to be a, a, an adapting to the fact that I might be a bit, a bit tired for that, that day, but I'll still do something that's gonna help. So what, is the, what are the pieces that I'm putting together for that framework of my self-care to make sure that I give myself that opportunity to have a better day? In mm-hmm. video, you know, everyone's different in what works for them. Me, exercise is a big thing, it's a huge thing. It's been a big thing for my life for, forever. You know, but also slowing down and, and taking some me time and chilling and, you know, listening to, you know, audio books, you because know, I'm not really a reader sort of thing, or audio books, or just listening to my songs, or just, you know, just generally playing with my kids, you know, i got, you know, nearly five-year-old and seven-year-old boys being, you know, just playing in the backyards, having a kick of the footy or whatever it might be, they're parts to my self-care. You know, when you talk about the people that live with mental illness and the fact that, you know, they're languishing on their, on their mental health continuum on their journey, we keep talking about is the fact that they don't give themselves those opportunities to say, okay, what could be better? What could I do better? Or I'm just gonna rely on somebody else to do that for me. So how's that working? And then you don't cure your system by just going, okay, I'll go for a walk and tomorrow I'm, I, you know, I don't have, you know, a, depth, a level of mental health diagnosis. The fact is the consistency in your actions over a period of time, and that's why they call it behavioral therapy, right? It's not outcome therapy, it's behavioral therapy. So what are the things that I'm doing for myself to make it work for me, um, you know. And as I said, exercise is a big thing for me. Spending time with my kids is a big thing. Spending time with my wife is a big thing. Drink, not drinking alcohol, is a big thing for me. You know, and I get judged for that. You know, people, there's judgment that comes out, and then this is what we sort of face in everyday society: that so you get judgment over your decisions for your own for your own health. But I'm a bit, a bit of a fu to a lot of people because that's just that's what works for me. You don't like it, bad luck and that's what works for me and it's what works for my family. So if I can do that and I can give myself those opportunities every day, open it up.
1: Do you ever wake up and there's that voice that's like, no, you don't deserve this, or "I'm," it's like that self-sabotaging thing? No, no,
0: no, no, not, not on the wake up. I have my, There's experiences that go through, like everybody else, right? We have all different stresses from different domains of our life. You know, professionally is, is uh, in the work sort of life, there's a lot of moments that happen that you go, oh, maybe I don't deserve this or don't deserve it to be out of And that's just your life and that's your brain, that's, how that, that's sort of how it works. But having those tools to understand, okay, when those moments come in play, that they're just moments, they're just thoughts, but don't be controlled by your thoughts, allow your actions to bring you back. You know, my steps in play of what I do for work, what I do for myself, what I do for my family, will put me in a good position moving forward. If I'm so reliant in terms of my judgment, my self-judgment, you talk about self-sabotage, it's self-judgment, right? So in terms of how that works, if I'm so reliant on the outcome, then I've already lost. If I put my behaviors in play, then I'm in a better position. I'm not always going to win, that's not how it works, but I'm in a better position to be better, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But it's life.
1: Okay, so can we go back to the start? <laughs> First question on this podcast is always, "How did you grow up?" That's yep. more just to give like yeah, the yeah, sense yeah. of the culture yeah, you grew up, up, like up in, them, yeah.
0: And <laughs> yeah. then we'll get into your story. Yeah, cool. Cool. So, how did I grow up? I grew up good. You know, I had a good, I had a, I had a solid life. I mean, family, uh, like most, not everyone. I get understanding and more experience in life. You see, you know different dynamics in families and how they don't work and how they do work. You know, my 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 dad was a you know he was a former soccer roo, played soccer for Australia, so he was at a high level for sport. My mum is an absolute champion and a and a beautiful person and he's just an absolute lion. You know, typical lion sort of a matriarch of a family in terms of the protector and how she worked and how she operated through both professionally and personally. And I had a brother, an older brother, and older sister. Um, you know, and the life of us was all about sport. You know, I started playing basketball when I was four years eight, four years of age. You know, most most kids have got three left feet at, at four years of age. So, but I was playing, I was developed, I was, I was ready to go, and sport became my life and our family's life, and that's how it rocked. Um, and that was our escape, and that was our thing that made sure that we were all good. Um, you know, we had challenges. You know, like a lot of people and a lot of families do. You know, there was some financial issues going on. But, you know, we went through recessions, going through all the things that happened. You know, but my parents always worked their bums off to give us, my brother and my sister and I, the opportunities of life. Um, and you know, whatever opportunities they were, it was not about going on fancy holidays or those sorts of things. It was all about opportunity to play sport and be connected to a community, and that was what our life was about. My life really took a bit, of a bit of a challenging experience through school, you know, I wasn't quite, I wasn't, when I say I wasn't the academic, I was actually quite smart, but I wasn't, um, I didn't like school. Like, you know, most, a lot of people, they don't like school, but my, um, you know, the experience I had through primary school, not fitting in, not being, not being really connected to what should be the happiest times of your life in primary school, right?
1: And why did you feel like that was? Um, I was
0: bored. I think I was bored with school, bored with it. I was always always getting in trouble, always sort of, um, as I said, I was, my mum explains it this way, that I should have actually been up a grade. I was never challenged through primary school, as, as challenging as primary school can be. I was never challenged, so I'd always finish my work you know, 20, 20, 30 minutes before everybody else, and then I'd get bored and go, oh, what am I gonna do here? So I start trouble, start trouble like that with, kids at that age, they don't like that, right, like nobody does, but I didn't know that's what I was doing, um, so not fitting in, and you know, it, quite, because I was physical, like I was, I've always been a big fella, um, so my life was, you know, it was, it was quite physical, um, and that sort of didn't sort of sit well there, then I went to a new high school, I, mean, I went to high school, um, similar things were happening, like, and it was just, and then I, you know, sort of wasn't fitting in, Started getting bullied, disconnected, you know, sort of away from everybody, and you know, not being able to play simple things. Um,
1: what was the bullying like?
0: Never physical, as I said. It's, I'm, you know, I could punch on with ten people and not be an issue. That's just how I am. That's just my my physical nature in life. It's always been. But just the just when I talk about this bullying is around the social harassment, you know, the disconnection. You can't be a part of this. You, and I didn't. Know, I had no friends through. A lot, a lot of a lot of school. Huh. Um,
1: it's interesting because the stereotype is like if you're really good at sport, especially in Australia, if you're like really good at sport, really good at footy, yeah. it's like you're the popular one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that became the case, right? Um, but like you're seven, you're eight, you know, and that's not really the thing, right? So it's about when it's sort of like later on in school, it was... You know, making state squads and being ast- captains and all this sort of stuff of, you know, winning Australian awards and all that sort of stuff for footy and athletics and whatnot, it became, okay, well, let's let's be around it, um, huh. which is an interesting way to look at it and feel it and, and relive it and understand it. Um, you know, there's still issues that I, I'm facing today from that, you know, that I'm still working through. You know?
1: So do you think that was part of your motivation was like, okay, if I can be the best then I'll
0: win people's approval? Nah, never my motivation to win people's approval. My motivation to be the best was just because I wanted to be the best. Um, Then I had an opportunity to be the best. Um, And through junior footy, through junior athletics, basketball, the whole thing, um, I loved what I did. and I I loved playing, I loved playing sport, and I loved winning, and that was my thing. Like, if I I wasn't winning, it was the worst thing in the world. Um, So So was that
1: like an escape?
0: Footage sport was an escape. I think sport for everyone is an escape. Whoever does it, no matter what your sport is or what exercise you do, I think that's where your escape comes. Um, And the problem is that when you, you and your escape becomes not your escape, your performance doesn't keep working for you. Your relationship with it. So we talk about the relationships with with things. You know, whether it be exercise, sport, whether it be work, whether it be family. If you have a if you have a poor relationship with it, with your association with it, and the outcomes and behaviours that are associated with it, then you don't like doing it. And this is where the the performance sort of outplays it. So you know, even from socially, if you, if you don't like like somebody, you're not gonna. Really, is an escape. Social connection a big thing for a lot of people. It's an escape. It's a part of uh, being something. But even I like the relationship that you got there, you know. And then you talk about sort of relationships with partners or family, and you start becoming abusive, and all this stuff stuff happens. It's not. It's not a good. It's not a good way to be. But there's always a reason why you actually got into that in the first place. So sometimes, you know, the things that aren't in your control, so other people's actions and how they're going about things, you know, the the outcomes that come from that is something that you've just got to understand. And, and how do you work through that? How do you go, okay, well, this is my life and this is the big part of self-awareness that we people always forget. How's it making me feel? Am I, am I enjoying what I'm doing right here? Am I enjoying this person? Am I enjoying this experience? If I don't, well, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to change that? Do I need to say something? Do I need to just change how I approach things? Do I, you know, the, the actions from other people, you obviously also don't know what they're going through. So their behaviour towards you, uh, mon- nothing to do with you, but it's something that's going on back here that goes. Okay, well, this is this is not the way it's going to go. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So did your relationship with sport ever change? To
0: the- yeah, yeah, it did. So when I played AFL, it was like that. My first, my first, I got got drafted to Adelaide when I was 17 so I went to Adelaide you know straight up, straight out of school um and it was an interesting experience and I enjoyed the fact of being an list, and I enjoyed it probably too much and then um didn't when I say I didn't enjoy it I enjoyed it too much I enjoyed what the association off field was all about right and then I wasn't performing like what partying and drinking and all the adulation and all you know, all that sort of stuff from, from people around and you know you go to Adelaide it's two team town and it's a that's the only thing that's going on in Adelaide is the footy. Right? So um, all that sort of uh, the, the, the building of the ego was pretty high and I, and I didn't cope with that, didn't cope with that at all. Um, and yeah, just sort of found my way into partying and alcohol and not doing what I was supposed to be doing and that was playing footy and performing on the field.
1: So was yeah. that a big part of the team culture or how did you Yeah, that was life's
0: culture at the time, right? So still even today, right? So maybe more health conscious today, more worldly about their understandings around it, but there's still, whether it's sport or a business, the the Australian culture around alcohol is, is, is a big thing you know and, and do what you do and your choices and how you go about it but that's you know, I I'd look at it back it wasn't like wasn't my way of doing things when I was growing up our family wasn't involved around alcohol but then I was opening up to it and I was like oh look at this thing this is a shiny new toy and we'll see what happens here
1: were you still living at home at that point
0: no I was in Adelaide so I grew up here in Melbourne um and then I uh, yeah moved to Adelaide which was a you know I had a beautiful I billeted with a family, and it was great, and they were beautiful people and really supportive and all that sort of stuff. Um, but just I just didn't connect the idea of actually being on an AFL list to play AFL, <laughs> which is a sad thought.
1: And huh? Okay. So was the family aware of you? Like, oh, why are you going out all the time? Or
0: yeah, they were aware, but what are they gonna do? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it was. it was. What are they going to do? Like it was. it was my choices that I was making. So they didn't. They couldn't put boundaries on me do these sorts of things. They were. They were just there to support me to actually, to live. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then politics comes into play with professional sports, or even you know, said same thing for business. Um, you know, and it, and it totally disconnected from what I was supposed to be doing and which was performing on the field and but then I was having run in through um, you know coaching staff and, and general managers and all that sort of stuff and just wasn't put into a position to give myself those opportunities to play um,
1: so they tried to pull you up on
0: no oh. they didn't they didn't do that either they just that was life that was just how it worked so um, you know because there was other players that were all on the same boat were all doing it, but they were able to perform, they were a bit more experienced in life, and they were doing their thing that huh. they needed to do. And so no one really took
1: you under their wing to say,
0: like, this. don't go
1: out till 5 a.m. before yeah. training or...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It was just like, yeah. figure it out yourself.
0: I'll be there with you, <laughs> right?
1: Huh. But yeah. they... But they are more so experienced.
0: We, they were grown up, they were probably mature, but they... I, I didn't look at it as a kind of, well... Who can I do this with? It was more the fact that, well, this is just, this is making me feel good. Um, because footy wasn't making me feel good. So I was, that's my world that I was getting into.
1: And it feeling good was like the escape of drinking and drugs, or was no, it? No,
0: drug, no drugs at that time. So drugs came later. Do um, more alcohol, and as I said, the, the chasing the dragon of of seeking attention probably coming with that
1: to be like i play for adelaide yep give me
0: a round of drinks yeah a round of drinks do what you need to do you get the fans you get all the all sort of stuff that's coming with it it's not um you know looking back on it it's pretty it's pretty sad way to experience it or try to seek that experience um but you know as a 17 18 year old that was a hadn't been open to sort of worldly experiences like that before um, I was like oh, yeah let's do this
1: and of course like we because I went to whatever college here near the turf club and it would always be mad Mondays footballers would go there so we as like 18 year olds like we'll go. we've got to go and like meet these foot. and it was like oh a footballer bought me a drink you know yeah, it is yeah, that yeah, yeah. and half the time it's like is he actually a footballer could yeah, be any yeah, random yeah, bloke yeah. trying yeah. to yeah so it really is that culture. And especially, yeah, in Adelaide, when that's like the sport. It's
0: 25 years ago when I'm talking about, right? So um, yeah, we've come a long way in life and society and in the ways, as I said, we're more worldly nowadays and people are more health conscious and understandings that go about things. Um, but alcohol is a socially acceptable drug. I'm saying right, so it is, and it is so people ex- get into it, and it's not your relationship with alcohol that's the problem. It's a relationship why you are seeking alcohol to be your experience. I think that's where people are falling down. Um, you know, get into it and you have one drink too many, and the choices that come from drinking and doing these sorts of things um, becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, so then talk. then I come so back to I left. I left. I, I had enough, so I left. Uh, left Adelaide. Um, they, you know, I was, I was performing, I started performing, so I was playing at Glenelg in the, in the NFL, so like the reserves, um, and I was doing all right, offered me a contract, said nah, send me home, get me back to, to Melbourne, so um, I got traded to Hawthorne, so I was at Hawthorne for five years, which, you know, got back to the swing of things of life and being around my family, being around my needs. Um, and life was good, you know. I stopped drinking. I stopped seeking the uh, all the crap that was going with it, um, and then it sort of was on an upwards, you know, an upwards sort of steps, and we're going alright, and playing, and, and then just uh, it's not not a there's no one trigger, but there was a series of you know relationship issues, you know, girlfriends and all that sort of stuff, um, but I wasn't performing. You know, as much on the field, so I was, getting, you know, I got dropped a couple of times. And then I started going, you know, I lost my my grandpa, my gramps. You know, I lost him, and that really set me off. And then alcohol and just became back into my life, I was just like, wow, let's let's do this again. Um, and you know, we talk about mental health and your journey with it. It's the fact that this type of conversation around your mental health wasn't a conversation that we had 20 years ago. So it wasn't. There was no awareness around. You know, it was a thing, but it was more the people's understanding of well, you had to be crazy to, you know, in terms of you had to be really at the the upper echelon of uh, mental, your mental illness to actually think that this was an issue. So not just in terms of the challenges that come with, and this is where the problems we get in our society is the fact that. People automatically think a day of, a day or a week of actually being sad or being, you know, levels of mental health challenges automatically puts you into needing psychiatric help or medication for, for the challenges that you're going through. Um, you know, people jump from you know, hero to zero really quickly. And that's a problem that we're having in society now that people are facing the fact of needing, they're seeking their support from. The higher end, so right crisis management process in hospitals and you know psychs and lots of stuff, where the fact that they're just dealing with some stuff that they just should be able to deal with within their within their crew, within their loved ones, within their people, within themselves. But people don't want to do that; they want to go straight there. And that's the fact that where you know said the awareness component comes in. Twenty years it wasn't there. Twenty years ago it wasn't there. So my challenges weren't enough to. Talk about. So you you weren't in, talking
1: to anyone. Didn't about talk to this. anybody
0: about. It, it was n- not a thing. It was just like okay, well, and you live and playing and being a part of a huge alpha male world. That was definitely not something you spoke about. If you couldn't cope with, with the life that you were living, then you wouldn't be in that life. You would see later that, that that's how they'd go. But then, you know, working through that, and then, you know, but I was still playing and, you know, still doing certain things, but I just, off field, and off field, away from the footy club and internally, in, inside my head, it was just an absolute nightmare.
1: So, got, so leaving Adelaide, you kind of said to yourself, like, I want to take this seriously, get back into footy, stop drinking, yeah. or go to Hawthorne, New Start. Yep. And then...
0: It was going all right. It was, literally it was right. So it was, you know, I I was just feeling safe again, which is a big thing. You know, we talk about safety in life, feeling safe again, but you know, sort of psychologically, emotionally, I was feeling safer again. So I was actually to, you know, to make the right choices for me. You know, I talked before about the fact of uh, the better managing your system. You know, I I brought my system back, you know, what I was doing for myself and how I was going about it and who I was doing that with. So my system was better. And then the system becomes a little bit breaky. (laughs) Over time, and as opposed to realising why it's becoming breaky and taking some responsibility and being accountable to that, that you just keeps breaking a bit more.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and if you keep doing the same same crap, and you, those behaviours are still associated with it, it breaks more and more and more, and it becomes broken. Yeah. And it's it's a hard way to find yourself to come back from that when it's broken. So when you find it's a challenge or you find it breaking, you can understand where you're going. But people we, we wait for things to be broken before we try and fix them. So that was kind of
1: driven by, you started feeling like a failure or?
0: a yeah, huge failure. Like I, I should have been much more than I was when I was at that stage of my career. Um, and you know, then the guilt comes with it and then you're like, okay, well, how am I gonna feel better about myself and doing these sorts of things? And then you start doing the things that make you feel better in the, instant, in, in the instant. And a lot of that is either through alcohol or through drugs or through, you know, promiscuous behaviors or whatever it might be that's in your life. Um, And that's how you you seek it that's how you seek the sort of internal gratification of who you are and how you're going about it um and that was not the right choices for me
1: and were you feeling depressed at that point that you started getting back into
0: drinking and so so a bit of it's a bit of a chicken or the egg right so why was i doing it to get to sort of thing, so it's, it's understanding's coming back. So, you know, in terms of the levels, there's, there's levels of depression, right, and people that know this, and we're talking about the continuum that it's on, so people people always have a level of depression in them because there's sadness that comes with that, right, so, in mean, the emotional state or the lack of self-worth that comes with that, but that becomes worse and worse and worse, depending on what level you're at. My level of depression at the time, I believe, was hugely challenged in terms of my emotional state because I just didn't feel worth I'd had no worth in who I was. So I seeked worth from things that weren't worthwhile, <laughs> right? So there those that through relationships, um, people socially, uh, through alcohol, through fighting, through whatever it was, I seeked it for the wrong reasons. So my relationship with it was poor. Then by my, in terms of depression was the fact that if I don't show anybody that I'm, because I look you know, like I look invincible in terms of physical capacity in terms of how that goes about it but I wasn't no one's invincible to in your emotional state. no one is right? no matter even Dalai Lama's not emotional you know invincible maybe him but that's about it. but in terms of not invincible to but I couldn't let that to be seen because that's not who I was seen to be right So people knew me as the tough guy, the party guy the, the, the guy that nothing would break. And That's what I thought. Speak to other people might be different, but that's what I thought. So I had to keep putting this front on that I'm that I'm. I've got this. I'm, I'm not breaking. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to get this, and it's going to happen. But then you're sort of you know away from people, the thoughts that come with having no worth, no self worth. Um, you know, are dark. they hugely dark. Um, and it's really hard to see unless you talk about it at the time which is a really hard thing to do and I'm not saying this to people it's the fact that people we talk about this all the time is the fact that we say talk, talk, talk talk about these things but it's an unbelievably challenging thing to do yeah, it is a huge, and it, it's so. Especially when you're in an absolute myth, like in the middle of that sort of darkness, and you're right there at the bottom of the sort of well, and you you can't see light at the top. And it's the conversation is a really hard thing to do. And, and who and who do you going to have that conversation with? Because that first conversation, if that's not taken seriously from somebody else, because they're scared of saying certain things, and the judgment that comes with that. Then you don't talk more. So your your experience of going, okay, well, when I was feeling like this, and I talked about it, it didn't make me feel better. So when that happens next time, why would I talk to somebody again?
1: So did that happen to you? You tried yeah. to
0: talk. Well, cries for help, right? So and how people hear those cries for help is different. So there's, there's moments where I talk to to people at footy, you know. You know, obviously my, my parents could see it, but it was not really a sort of thing that we spoke about at, at home. Um, but as I said, in the footy world, it was like, okay, well, now you're good, let's go develop, go train, and you'll be right. It'll all it'll, it'll happen. It'll all work out. Um, and it didn't. <laughs> so what would a
1: standard week look like in that period when you were playing for Hawthorne but you'd started... Getting into drinking again. What would it look like?
0: Um, so, you know, we, we we were in a stage there where it was sort of becoming professional. It wasn't professional at the time. wasn't full time. It was still, you know, you're at the club most days, but you're know, like only there for you know a few hours as opposed to what it looks like now, where you might be there for four to six to eight hours a day, right?
1: So people might have had other jobs and whatever. yeah
0: have you other know, interests, or you know, doing their education, or whatever it might be, but we we're just weren't being there. Um, so you know, between training, you know, I'd go, and then I'd go back to, to boys' house, or you know, my mates' house. I weren't attached to footy, um, and just hang out and do nothing. And you know, that was how it how it was. But then, sort of, at that stage, it was you know, as soon as game time was finished, it was straight on it, and, and you know, and drink to you. Stu- Trooper, Whether so. you won or lost, won, lost, draw, whatever it was, didn't play, injured, whatever it was, and it was just, let's go and then I'll see you Monday.
1: Okay, and <laughs> you could kind of have it under the guise of like we won, like we're celebrating, everyone's drinking.
0: Yeah, but it, then you no, no, no. It was just, it was just, it was. That was this. That was the way that people lived, right? It's a, you know, not a lot of them did it, but a lot of them did. Sense. And it was
1: like some of the boys are partiers and some aren't,
0: yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. That's it's exactly not a works. problem yeah. either. Yeah.
1: And then would you realise, like, oh, I'm. Or was it again like there were other people taking it really far?
0: Depends on the level, What you, it depends on what you think is too far right <laughs> so, so different, everyone has a different interpretation of what that level is and, and then where you're at and why you're going so it's better as opposed to you know some people like it you know have a few drinks and do their thing and be home by one o'clock whereas you know i like to be home by like seven <laughs> next morning that was that was how it was
1: and did you ever look around like no one else is here and why am i still going at 6 a.m or you could brush it off as like
0: yeah, it's part of the culture. Just, it was part of my internal culture, right? not their culture. And it was the thing, you become so internalised with your thoughts and your process that you don't really look at anybody else. This is the life that I'm living and that's, that's how I'm going to rock it, the good, bad or indifferent. Um, and you become it becomes, and doing then doing it consistently, you think, okay, this is just the norm. And that's what I felt. So instead of telling yourself the lie of that this is okay, and this is how it goes, you know, the, if you tell, I say this all the time, as you tell a lie often enough, it becomes your truth, right? And this is where people live with the fact of um, not taking accountability or being responsible to their actions, you know, and their behaviours. The fact that you tell a lie often enough, that consistency in that behaviour becomes your norm.
1: And no one intervened. Cause I'm ima- maybe I'm naive, but I'm imagining now, if you were on the list and you were mm. doing that, that yeah. someone would step in and be like, "You need your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> now. Like you need yeah, 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 you yeah. need to be eating properly." Yeah,
0: yeah now, said, we're talking twenty years ago. So life's understanding is, is totally different. It's you know, there's in terms of uh, out of forty out of football club or a professional sports, or whatever whatever sport you're playing, even at work there's more resource more understanding the more support around people at in life now than there was 20 years ago and i'm not saying anything people don't know even 10 years ago even five years ago we've still got a long way to go in terms of actually having we got support around people but it's actually having that sort of culture around those people to understand that they are being supported but you've got to be able to support yourself okay we still we live in a life now that people don't want to support themselves and as I said before, around the victim mentality, people want to play this victim mentality and, and want to have everyone else to fix them. It's not going to work because they got their own crap to deal with, right? So let's support, put a culture around it. Want to, you know, how have, have to have a conversation? I mean, talked, talked a little bit before about the fact of the fact of conversations. Now is we just people have forgotten the art of conversation because of technology. You know, we love technology and we love how it works, but it's taken away our ability to actually emotionally connect into a a relationship, into a connection of what we we need. Um, You know, so people are are afraid to say the wrong thing. They can't deal with conflict. They don't understand a risky conversation. They don't understand what a safe conversation looks like. They don't understand how to fill each other's cup up you know, in terms of genuine, genuinely filling each other's cup up as opposed to the bullshit that comes with life that we see now through social media and all the things that happen with it, right? So, you know, people are really sort of happy to sit on a keyboard or on or their phone and write comments and oh, you're so inspirational, all this sort of stuff, and blah, blah, blah. That's not generally filling someone else's cup up. Because it's almost like a copy and paste, and you've written it on 150 people, and they're just—it's not what it is, right? So, this is the world that we're living in. The fact that the technology is taking away our capacity to have genuine, one-on—you know, genuine human connection, um, which is causing a lot of issues for people's mental health. You we know, talk about their journey. What does that look like? And then when they talked about when I talked about it before, my ability to have that conversation that first time—I'm feeling in my dark moments if that is not a good experience i'm never going to talk again and that's what people get to and they become they wait till they're absolutely broken and actually forced to have that conversation from somebody else but then there's also the other people that don't want to have that conversation with somebody that is broken in their life because they're afraid of what will happen they're afraid to have that conversation with that person
1: yeah I guess it's just it's really hard to talk about this stuff and I still now and this is why I just want to be way more honest about it which is what I was telling you at the start of this because now you kind of put it's like, yeah, a journey, as we say. And so some days, it's not like you're cured automatically. And then some days, when you've been going well and people are like, oh, great, we're so happy. They don't mm. seem to be depressed anymore. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. working and they're functioning. They're yeah. getting out of bed. Yeah. Then when you're like, wait, I'm feeling fucking terrible again (laughs) and it's like how do I say that because it's like you don't want to let people down and then you hear I found all this talk about mental health it's even can make it even harder because everyone's talking about it like it's almost like a trendy thing but it's like hang on but do you you, like I am struggling like I don't feel like I want to live anymore like how do I who, yep. No one's saying that. Like, who can I? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's yeah. not like a sexy thing, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the, the, the People are attached to us. It. So, it's, we'll talk about the the mental health sector in terms of conversations of people having, or advocacy, or the campaigning, or the messaging they're trying to push around it. It's a bit of a clickbait thing, right? So, I'm, I'm seen as a good person when I'm going to start talking about these things. But it becomes an expectation on the other side for those people that are dealing with the challenges that come with it. And we're all dealing with it. Just on different levels, so there's expectations that okay, well, you know, we talk about the honeymoon, I talk a lot about the honeymoon period. People are experiencing certain things, and and then automatically, I see from you see from, or well, not yourself because beautiful people, we say somebody sees from the outside that that person is maybe feeling better, and they think, okay, it is. They're okay. I don't need to have a conversation with them anymore. But it's not about the conversation. It's about the relationship, the behaviours, and the experiences that come following and it's not and you know i say this a lot of times about the fact that you don't cure yourself from a mental illness or a mental health diagnosis you better manage your system to move forward with so i still say to this day that i live with depression and anxiety and um, substance abuse i live with it that is my system but we've all got a part of that breaking part in our system that we need to better manage that system to make it work for you the conversations we're having, there's so much pressure in our life to actually feel bloody on top of the world, right? And happy and, and, you know, I'm all all over it. And and if you're you're seen to not be at that stage, it becomes actually worse. So instead of, you know, people dropping. So we talk about that, I keep mentioning this continuum, right, the mental health continuum. Zero languishing, sea crisis, that's the real challenge, huge. And then you work your way through to flourishing, you know, on top of the world, doing cartwheels down the street, that's 10, right? Instead of, people always go, okay, how do I get to a 10? But 10's not. 10's not achievable. 10 is literally, in today's day and age, and how we go about things, 10, in terms of society's expectations of what a 10 looks like, is not achievable. It might be achievable for a moment, for an experience, for a part, but it's not, from day to day, consistency in activity and, and behaviors, it's not achievable. So what's my base camp? And if I can keep my range and I don't have a base camp of eight, I have my, my base camp is a six, between a six and an eight. That's for me, is like, what, will I make, what do I need to do to get to that and understand what that looks like? So There's going to be experiences that come through and go, I'm going to have my moments where I'm going to drop back to a three or a four, 100%. But if I have my framework with what I start my day with, how my actions and my behaviours look like, I can actually bring myself back into that range as quickly as I possibly can there's no pressure on me to de- be there, but I understand what I need to do to get there. So, but people go, okay, well, instead of the experiences, instead of dropping back, you know, a couple of scores sort of thing, and then giving yourself back to that level, people drop and they keep dropping and they keep dropping, and as opposed to the, because of society's pressures, and expectations to you to be better. Because I actually don't want to deal with your crap because it makes me feel bad. I'm worried about the, the fact that me having a conversation with you, you're gonna bring me down. You're gonna make me anxious. You're gonna make me feel, you know, have depression. I'll make you have depression. <laughs> I can, the difference between having depression and being depressed is people forget. Depression is, you know, we're talking about clinical mental illness, clinical diagnosis, mental health diagnosis. Being depressed is feeling the, the absolute the worst of sadness that comes through with worth and coming through that period of time for that moment from that experience, not having a depression where I actually, uh, or whatever level that is, that it is for a long period of time, not just for a day. Yeah. But this is, uh, you know, this is why we have these types of conversations in there, and it's just hopefully it opens people's eyes up and ears up and their hearts up to these understandings, and, you know, they we're all going through it. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. Every every single day, like you know, even this year from last year, not this year, this has been great because it's only it's only a couple of weeks old. But last year was a hugely challenging one for me personally and professionally. Um, you yeah, know, so much to the point where you know my worth, my instead of being in my base camp, even though I was doing all my right things, oh, I was right back at three or four for a, for an extended period of time. So I went back and seeked help. My wife had read that in, my, in, in me and what, how I was going about it, and. Um, had that conversation with me because we openly talk about our things all the time, um, and I'm very lucky to have my wife in my life to be able to do that. Um, and we went for a walk one day and she said, Well, what do you want to do with it? it exactly what she said to me the day after my last suicide attempt in 2011 What do you want to do with it? And that's putting that accountability back on me. What do I want to do with that? And that was, oh, I need to maybe I need to go see someone again. So, 10 years after my last psych appointment, I went back and saw saw a psychologist who, you know, Dr. Carey is um, an amazing person in my life and has been for a period of time um, just as friends, but I'm very lucky that, obviously, from the work that I do, um, I had that relationship with her and, and, you know, we worked it through and it was a series, uh, a long series of, uh, um, you know, conversations, we'll say, we like this word. and you know, I'm in a much better place than I than I was three months ago. Let's just say that.
1: And are you able to not be hard on yourself, like, oh, you know, I I'm running this mental health charity. I should be like in perfect mental health.
0: It's huge, huge expectation on that, and and you know, it is. It, you know, we're coming up to our tenth anniversary, tenth birthday. We're call it um, this month, next month. Um, in terms of being sent from or founded as an organisation, there's huge pressures I feel socially to But, you know, I think the biggest part of why I'm still been in this sector for you know, for ten years, which a lot of people sort of have come and go on that journey, right? Um, is the fact that I'm still understanding that I'm who, who I seek that pressure and expectation from that comes from externally, huge, and it's all all around. But the way I go about things is I'm pretty open to being vulnerable, and I'm pretty open to being real in my conversations. I'm pretty open to who I do that with. And I'm I'm not a huge social media person where I put my feelings and all these things out there. I don't see it, that's what I need to do. I have my people in my life that I have these conversations with, I have my mentors in my life that allow me to process both personally you know I have an emotional coach I have a um, you know a business coach I have all these people in my life these mentors that work through and have those conversations for different reasons but my life coach is my wife and that's you know my mum's a huge part of that as well it's being able to have those conversations with those people to, to understand okay this is what, who am I doing my life for and then I'm doing my life for me and my life is my for my family that's what's the most important thing yeah.
1: That's so helpful as well, that she does put the accountability to you and not in a way, because I find that people around me can get quite panicked if I'm like, I'm feeling like this again. Yeah, some people are great, and it's like, yep. okay, it's your choice. What are you yep. gonna do? Yep. Like, why don't you do these things that you know help you? But other people can be like, oh my God, like, okay, do you, I think you need to go on medication. <laughs> like, you've got to do this, like, because it's like a panicked, like, i can't deal with it but it's like
0: straight out of a movie that one yeah yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but it's like no i actually just need to talk to some talk to you being someone i love and who cares about me and for you to just
0: yeah yeah for it to be
1: okay that i'm feeling
0: like people go into problem solving mode really quickly i want to fix you there's something here i'm going to fix you What what do i do need to do to fix you but we're not here to fix you. Even your friends or your family that you're having those conversations, but they're not there to fix you. We're gonna get out of this mode, or this, this idea, the fact that we're here to fix people, is that people need to be able to understand how they fix themselves, right? So in the conversation, and the greatest question, and I my wife said it to me in two huge times of my life um, over this period, and always says it is, well, what do you wanna do? And you know I said that to you, when you're having maybe a moment or a time, and you're like, oh, I don't know, and then you're like, Oh, think about it. Let's 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 talk about it. Conversation, bring it back. Don't just go and we seek instant gratification from that process for a lot of people. Is the fact that if I can f- do something really like, then I'm going to fix you right now. Geez, I'm going to feel good about who I am, right? But I'm not you to fix you. I'm not seeking gratification to to fix you, to make you feel better. I'm just understanding that you need to feel better. So what are we gonna do with that to make it you put yourself at that moment I talked about before, the opportunity to do that? Talk about self care, right? So, you know, whatever it might be, what is your thing that you do? What is your what do what do you think? Is there is there a one thing, is there a five things? or is that what is what does it look like for you?
1: Um I think what listening to podcasts like this, I think that's, <laughs> that's why I make this podcast because yeah. I'm like, this is what helps me. Yeah, I was talking about mm. Tires and Fury. It's like listening and, yeah, audiobooks as well, like going for a walk and listening to other humans and you're like, fuck, we're all just kind of these fucked up people <laughs> who are trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. And it's like so refreshing. But yep. to get myself to do that's the hard thing, right? Because it's like... You get stuck when in your thoughts, yep. and it's like you can't like get up. And leave. it's so simple, being like going for a walk. Yeah. And then it pisses you off when someone's like, "Oh, why don't you go for a walk?" And it's like, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that but that's that's the challenging part where we look at right. And I'm talking about the consistency in your behaviours. Is that there's a difference between self care and then the, and the difference between self care and positive triggers, right? So, self care is our, our consistency, and our behaviors, and our framework that we do every single day. What are those sorts of things? positive triggers are, what is the thing that I know I need to go to when I'm having those moments? You know, a, an audio book or a podcast session or it might be just a simple song. So I'm talking about something that you need to be able to do in like one to three minutes that can get you to that point. Whether it be a breathing practice, do I need to step back? Do I need to you know take my shoes off and go walk in the grass? what a, what a, what a grounding exercise that I might need to do? And, and not, not just think about them, Actually, for people and it's the tool that I, that I have and a lot of people do now, is actually have my positive triggers written down and accessible. What are the things that I need to do? What are the things that could snap me back in? What are the things that I need to tr- trigger myself to move forward? So,
1: with? what's an example of that for you?
0: For me, sit back, pr- like I, I like a breathe practice. Like I just, I just, you know, whether it's where where I am, whether I'm driving or I'm at the thing, it might be a thing of just sitting back from wherever I am, or you know, standing in a, in a place that's a little bit you know, away from them. That experience, close my eyes and, and bring my breath back. That is the simplest thing that I. Anybody can possibly do to look at to w- why that works. Um, uh, another one that I usually use, and I don't have it on today, but my my wedding ring is. Um, I've got chubby fingers, so I don't really wear my wedding ring a lot to the dirts, right? So, but my wedding ring is is you know I'm feeling those moments of anxious. So I actually just touch and and it's like a little fidget thing, right? So so I look at it. Um, that's the thing that I I do, and it makes me feel. Come, because you know that's my trust, that's my connection, that's my life, Um, and or a thing just you know, right? Get away from that. Go grab my kids. What have we got? What are we doing here? And being with them is is another positive trigger. So whatever your positive trigger looks like, um, and and music, music's a music's an accessible thing for any positive trigger, and depending on relationship with is with that or what song that is and um you know we we were very lucky this year, last year um we did a, a bit of a collaboration with uh, andrew Lodesman and matt charles and um He's produced a song for the foundation, um, uh, A Call to the Hearted. And, you know, for me, I, I play that song a lot. And, you know, whether that creates a positive trigger, because the wording that comes through that, the messaging that comes out of that song is amazing. So, um, you know, except for a lot of people, and you know, my son loves it as well. He's seven. And he goes, oh, I'll play the song, Dad. And he's like, oh, let's do this. So it makes me feel good, yeah.
1: And so in the moment, you're able to like quickly to be like come on use the positive trigger let's get you out
0: of this that's the self-awareness component right so what how do you to be able to recognize that in the moment for a lot of people's hard because they, they haven't invested in meditating. well let much mention meditation is, is is not for everyone right so investing in just the, the presence of your experience right so um you know, uh, you know, this is the thing. So it's about actually going, okay, in this moment, being in this moment, a lot of people are already thinking, what am I doing in the next hour? I'm not actually being here in this experience. And this we've talked about with technology. It's actually seeking us to be further advanced than we actually are because time is here. So how do I have this conversation here? How do I experience this here? How am I feeling this? Am I, do I, am I feeling my heart? racing a bit more, am I feeling a sweat that's coming, or am I feeling a little bit perspired, or am I breathing? Is my breathing getting a bit shorter? Am I? Is my posture all slouched and all over the place? And my, being being aware of those things is huge. A lot of people find themselves to be too busy to be aware of themselves. So if I'm, if I'm actually seeking to be too busy, then I'd actually not have to be here because my, I'm, I'm already over there, um, but not seeking here, not being here, you're not going the, You're not going to the next hour, because then you get to the end of the day, we talked about the fact that the socialist pressures and expectations, the expectation, internal expectations and pressure to get to the end of your day, and you go, well, what did I achieve today? What did I do today? I've done nothing. It's not as a matter of fact that you haven't had a result, but you look back and you actually, well, if I had to slow down here or i had have done this a little bit differently here, then that's cool. You know, there's there's questions you sh- people should ask themselves in, in terms of in, uh, being able to be accountable where you are on your continuum in terms of your experiences through. To be able to, you know, not so much score yourself, but you know, in terms of understanding where your mood's at for the different parts of the day and not doing, and not waiting for the end of the week and go, oh yeah, I had a good week. But we all have okay weeks, right? there's certain experiences that go are good and there's certain ones that are, are so good but how did I behave in those experiences right so if I can do that more consistently in understanding how I behave into it as I said becoming behaviour focused not outcome focused and then it's going to be a lot more positive hopefully moving forward
1: mm-hmm. so going back to the continuum yeah. so we kind yeah. of got yeah yeah as, as is what story. I do it's the Sorry. conversations <laughs> we're all here right. yeah. yeah this is how it always goes so how low did you get on that continuum, or what was the point that you were the lowest?
0: What point? I had, I had years, years of being in a one, right, like that sort of zero to two space, years of it, and um, just lack of self-worth. But then that I didn't understand who I was, what I was. You know, when I finished footy, um, for my last year at North Melbourne, I was I was taking um, uh, taking substances to party. Yeah, when I was at North Melbourne in 2000, 2005. Coke, speed, weed, pills, whatever whatever it was. And that was the life and that's how we we're going about it. And um, then two thousand and five finished at north and then it was just let's let's go and finished playing footy, um, didn't sort of wasn't didn't work for a period period of time, had money, had all the time, blah 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 and then just did
1: drugs, you feel drugs good go about out. Finishing footy or
0: was nah, nah, I Hated footy. Absolutely hated footy, and I was I was sort of happy to be out. Hated footy and the experiences and the everything that went with it. Um, so you were like, I'm totally fell out of love with the best game in the world, <laughs> which was um, yeah from something that I was doing since I was 11 years of age to you know realize that this has now been taken out of my hands again because of my experiences and I felt a lot of guilt and of felt a lot of crap that come with the fact that you know it was the end of my third club. know, um, yeah, this is the time when going to three clubs wasn't a thing. Um, you know, now, you know, players go three, four, five clubs, right? And just keep popping around. But, um, you know, 25 and I had nothing to go to. I had nothing. Like I had, I not didn't, didn't have a I had a high school education. Completed my VCE. I didn't have um, any certificates, no trades, no nothing else. No job to go to. No. no it's was like oh, I'll just party and I'll worry about it later. And
1: yeah. was it kind of going downhill from that? Oh, it, it was down.
0: Mood wise, mood wise, it was, it was down. It was down so, but I was, same thing, I was living in, I was, I be, then became a personal trainer, so, which is a natural succession of what life was as a, a post-professional sports person, um, back in the day, became that. And you that were was, like,
1: I need money,
0: or I need something I need money, to do. I need a job, I need a life, I need something, and what's, what can I do that's going to be accessible to me, so. Were
1: you getting, was there pressure on you, or that was kind of, inter, like, what other people, like, what are you doing? It's,
0: you know, there's not so much pressures, but you got to live, right? It's, 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 the bills got to be paid. Yeah. So, um, and I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. I, and I, and I went and did a, just, I went and did a, like a sales job. It was like a, like a repping for a, for a guy's makes company at the time, um, but I was sort of left to my own devices. I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know how to go about it. But then I was just like, oh, all right. Well, I'll rock into work, and then I'll just go home at lunchtime, and I'll smoke. <laughs> and that was the world that I was living. So, you know, didn't do it properly, and I didn't go away. I actually applied for the fire brigade. Um, I thought, ah, oh, something I could do, surely. Um, and failed the drug test. <laughs> that was in one of, But they still, you know, put me through to the to the final interview. Um, but I didn't didn't go in, and I said, like, oh, we'll see you later. Um, who fails a drug test for uh, going for the fires or the police, or you know what I mean? Like, who does that? Do Did you have shame about it, or are you like whatever? Oh, whatever. Okay. Uh, let's go. Um, the fact that, that, as I said, the, the, that drug test—I think it was like round the physical component. It was like there was like seven or eight stages to get through, and that was like stage three. And then they, they in, in immediate, I can tell you, um, she was like, "Yep, yeah, it's you failed." Uh so I went back. Did Just you know you were going to fail? I thought I had a feeling that I was going to fail because, like, not from it wasn't from um, like the night before. It Wasn't from the night before. But so you tried to, yeah, try get to,
1: yourself to a point where yeah, you
0: can yeah. pass it. I'll, I'll clear myself out for a few days and we'll be fine, hopefully. And that um, no, didn't. So. It's been enough in my system to to keep me going, right? So um anyway, so in the fire is, and then I was like, all right, personal training all been my thing and then, you know, I became a sort of physical beast back in the gym and that was my world. Um, just trained flat out, you know, I was I was big, I was ripped, I was, you know, that guy, but I was partying flat out and, you know, smoking speed a lot of days or snorting or whatever it was just to, and that was just a function of who I was and how I was going about it. Um
1: and with the people in that environment, do you think they were struggling as well or some people were able to like manage it and they weren't as bad as you were? Or like they weren't feeling as bad on the inside? It
0: wasn't talked about. It wasn't talked about. And and to tell the truth, your experiences when you're in it like that and you're in the midst of it really, bad, really like at that dark level, um, you don't see what other people's experiences are. So, like, I, I now look back on it, and, and you know, there's some people in there that were, were struggling and, and, you know, but were well, masking it, you know, the big masking thing that we do, masking it through alcohol or drugs or partying or training or whatever, whatever it was, um, and, you know, weren't able to get themselves out. And that's the problem that we've got is that, you know, I went, I went so 31 I was when I'd um, had my last suicide attempt. And then I went, got the help. Had the conversation with my wife. Got the help that I needed. And then bang, went cold turkey. Off the yeah, off the no alcohol. You know, I'd be lucky to drink five, ten beers a year. Now, at best, at worst. Sorry, not at best, at worst. Um, and but that's not my relation. That's not what I do, right? But I was, I was able to get out.
1: Yeah.
0: A lot of people can't get out. And this is the problem that we have because there's still no accountable, so people aren't accountable to their actions and they still escape. That's their escape. My escape is different now. So when did you start feeling suicidal? Oh, when I was like 20. So yeah. the
1: whole time through playing footy, it would come up yeah. that you were like, I don't want to be
0: here. Yeah, yeah. But it was a, not so much, there's a difference between suicidal thoughts and wanting to die. (laughs) The suicidal thoughts that I was having at those times was the suicidal ideation was the fact that life would be better off without me. If I I die here, then life will be done because I'm not living with the pain that's in here anymore. I don't have to deal with that. I want to die is because there's no worth Gonna be better off without me. I'm gonna be better off without me. I can't deal with the pain. I'm actually gonna put a plan in place. I'm actually gonna put myself into a position to say, okay, that this, I'm, I'm gonna do this. Mm. Source ideation for me at that time was just the fact that I just, I just, I can't keep living the life that I'm living. Anyway, I just die. I'll wake up tomorrow, <laughs> and that's the thoughts that I was being able to have, um, which is not positive, not ways going go about it, everyone's experiences are totally different, but then through that sort of, you know, from when I finished footy, you know, I'd put certain plans in place, you know, there was trees that I'd drive into, that I'd contemplate or I had planned to drive into, there was buildings that I'd, you know, you know or there was weekends where I'd take so much drugs to say, okay, well this is going to be it. Um, not consciously putting myself into a position to take enough drugs to do it, but I'd take them and then I'd still survive. Um, you know, I did that for a, pe- a long period of time, and then the last time was, you know, I was on a roof, and it was just like, let's 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 see what this looks like. Um, you know, and slept for a few days, and I was going to jump. Um, got down off that roof after yeah, a few hours, and went back in and smoked myself to sleep. And next day, I was able to have that conversation. So, so you kind of decided, like, I want to.
1: I want to get help at
0: this point. I, I didn't decide. No, no, it's, it's a hard one, right? Because your decision becomes from a series of experiences over a period of time. And it wasn't, okay, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling better now. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I want to get help and then the help's gonna work. The conversations with my wife was, was, you know, like, what are we gonna, what are you gonna do with this? What are we gonna do now? What do you wanna do? Who are you gonna speak to? So, um, you know, I couldn't speak to my friends about it. Well, I was supposed to be my friends, I couldn't speak to them, it wasn't the thing. I didn't want to scare to mum and dad about it because like, that's you know, I didn't want to put them in a position of this conversation. Um, yeah, you know, I reached out to my best mate's mum, actually, that I, you know, she was a, a nurse and I had a great relationship with her and you know, she's had experiences dealing with a lot of this stuff for a period of time and had a conversation with her and then, you know, she was like, oh, well, great, we've got to put you in to see your doctor. Um, so I did that, and I saw my doctor, and then let go. Well, my psychologist, we're going to go see, um, and then what do we? What else are we going to do with that? So, got away, so disassociated myself with the world that I was in and where I was living, all sort of stuff. My, my wife and I we'd moved out into a house and um, little units, and then we just um, okay. Well, how are we going to work this going forward? I saw three different psychologists before I saw a psychiatrist at the Melbourne Clinic. Um, uh, which really, that find that was a final opportunity of being able to deal with my crap, deal with the challenges, deal with all the things that were mm. going on in my life, and how am I going to move this moving forward? So I um, put it all in play. A lot of sort of huge soul searching time. You know, I started reading a lot of Buddhism books, all these sorts of things. It was uh, people go, "What did you read that for?" Well, that's what I connected to at that time. You know, I was going to the library, I was just going to, uh, yeah, it's quite funny, like the fact that, I remember that, you know, it wasn't really audiobook time, you know, 10 years ago sort of thing, That was what I wasn't into and understanding So, but I wanted to get into, I was going to the library, and I'd just get all the books and I'd just read them, or i will go borrow them and just go and sit in parks and, and read all these books for a long period of time, um, which, you know, did a lot of journaling at that time, you know, I, I hugely appreciate and acknowledge what journaling does for a lot of people, um, and without a system, not needing a system to journal, right? Just be able to write what's going on, and not sit at the cafes or wherever it was for hours on the on the iPad or with the book, and just just write everything from the earliest experiences as a kid um, to you know where I got to a, that point on that roof at that time. You know, and what I can remember, how I felt, what I did, what I, what I didn't want to do, what I wanted to say to people. Um, you know, had it all written down and. You know, that was a hugely sort of therapeutic sort of way of how I went about it. Um, is that gonna work for everybody? Probably maybe, maybe not. But that's just, you gotta find, but you gotta find your way. And that's what worked for me. And walking and, and being around sort of a, a positive experience in my, with, you know, being with my wife was a hugely positive experience that allowed me to process opportunities of life. And I thought, all right, was more to life than what I'm doing right now. And, you know, drugs wasn't in my life, alcohol wasn't in my life, poor, you know, negative relationships weren't in my life anymore. Um And I thought, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And thought, all right, let's start the foundation. <laughs> let's see where this takes us. Um And just riding that roller coaster ever since. Yeah. It's cool.
1: Going back to the, yeah, feeling suicidal thing, mm. I think that's... Because I've struggled with that, those thoughts as well, that it's like the world would just be better off without me. Mm. And I think that's this misconception where people are like, oh, suicide is so selfish, or you know, that. It's mm. like the person, genuinely you believe that. It's like, I am worthless yeah. to the world. Yeah. But It makes me emotional because, as I told you, I lost my brother to suicide. So you saying that, I'm like, oh, my God, you can't think of that because I just know, like, there'll be people, like, without Hmm. knowing you very well. It's just, like, a deep sense that, no, like, you need to stay alive because you – so it's this really – confusing thing but I think that's what people don't understand and even like my dad on the way here this morning he I was talking about you know these conversations help for example this friend who struggles with yep. sometimes feeling like she doesn't want to go on anymore and he was like what? but like her you know she's got this amazing partner yep, and she's yep. got all this great stuff happening and i'm like yeah but that, yep. this is what happens like so cause the, people could say like oh but you have your wife so how could you be thinking about that yeah and
0: yeah I like, but that's you know there's there's the demons that live internally that are experiencing internally that put you into that position right so it's um being able to talk about it is hugely empowering to the person on the receiving end, as well. Like you know, you hearing this, comment, people are hearing these types of conversation, um, it's you know, there's a reality that comes with the fact that suicide's uh, suicide's real, right? People um, wanting to, to wanting and needing to end their life to get away from the pain that they're they're, go- they're going through um, is real. We're not going to save the world from everybody. So suicide's always going to be a thing that's happening in this world. We're not going to get to a number zero in terms of how that looks. It's not real because life's, the way of life works is that it is a reality of people's experiences that the fact that they can't see themselves living anymore in the world that they're experiencing. As sad as that, and it's hugely sad. And have known it and why, and my thoughts and experiences in that time, and been able to talk about it now so openly about it. Which people go, How do you talk about it so openly? Because if we don't talk about it so openly, then the fact that people, that we're not going to actually, it's it's talking about it openly is not going to increase the numbers that. You know, whether it be suicide attempts, suicide or actual people die by suicide, is the fact that it actually talking openly is actually going to decrease the numbers. It's not going to bring it to a zero, but it's going to decrease the rates of suicide because people are more open to the understandings of the conversations that need to be had. So we open it, normalise it, and be a part of it, and not normalising to the fact that we should be talking about suicide every single day. That's not what I'm talking about, normalizing. I'm talking about normalizing the fact that if, if, the, if it's the concept of suicide is being uh, triggered into somebody, that they are feeling open enough and, and safe enough to be able to talk about it. The experiences and a lot of comments a lot of people go to is that, oh, you need to, you, why why would you think that that's the, your situation? You got all these things. But it's not about the fact that, 100%, like even for me, it, Opportunities of AFL career, had beautiful family, I had you know social connection, you know physically able to do anything that I needed to do. I had all these things and everything was all cool. But the relationships and behaviours that I had and the outcomes from those behaviours put me to a position of feeling a lack of self worth and wanting to think, okay, well this is what's going to be better off without me because I can't see what the top of the world looks like. So we get ourselves to a point where we're going, okay, well suicide is the reality and we can have these types of conversations. People are making those choices for themselves. It's not selfish. It's the fact that they can't live with the pain that's going on in their head and their heart. But a lot of bitterness comes from that. A lot of anger comes from that, from the people that have been left behind from suicide, which is really hard because you've got no, no answers to your questions and you sort of just go around and around and around and around and around and people take the power from those conversations and those experiences and actually push it moving forward like you're trying to do earlier in terms of actually opening these experiences to people in the reality that it is from your experiences, you know, from 12 years ago, but to the fact that okay, a lot of people will still hide, for, hide behind it as well. You know, we did a video, we had a video project a few years ago now called Left Behind. So we had people that had been left behind from suicide. We can you know, find it on YouTube and whatnot, and you know across all channels, it's you know it's had you know, every million views. Talking about it, it's openly talking about people's experiences of why, how they felt being left behind from someone that suicided. Recently, did another one um, called about our Never Alone project, about the fact that people feeling never alone from their experiences either themselves being suicidal or um, someone in their life has, has died by suicide. And and the same messaging keeps coming back is the fact that there's the anger that comes with the why. There's not too many people that can be comfortable with the fact that, that person, that's that person's choice, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and, you, and you keep coming back to the fact of, what could I have done differently? What could, I should have done this, I should have done that. And that's just gonna hurt you more the fact that you having not having answers to those questions or those moments or those experiences. Um, but as I said, for moving forward to find the power and the fact of conversation and back, getting back the connection and the reality that we're in this together, you're not in it by yourself, we're in this together and hopefully we'll have more positive experiences.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah.
0: What do you think? <laughs> what do you think?
1: I forgot to ask you if there's a point because we've been talking for an hour and ten minutes. Are we? We're have on to fire. Go. No, you're all good. All good here. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like there's so good. much more I to talk could, about. I could ask you because we talk haven't about. talked much about yeah your work, what you do now. That's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the foundation. So we um, uh, love me, love you. So and the, the the meaning behind the meaning behind the name, as I said, I am. Um, going through that sort of uh, soul searching phase of my life and how I was going about it and, and as I said the Buddhism books were uh, a lot of readings around that and practices coming from that and about understanding how, you, how you, you actually need to be able to find that internal love before you can actually accept or be a part of the love that's out there right so
1: how did you get on to the Buddhism books
0: no idea uh, I don't know I am um, I yeah I just I, I don't know I was in the library I was like looking at Stuff self-help or whatever it was, and so I don't know, oh, well, let's see what this looks like, right? Um, you know, yeah, meditation, yoga, all those, all those sort of things that I would like. Okay, well, experiences in the past, and see what this looks like, and then opened it up, and became became a thing. Um, you know, now yeah, it's been a roller coaster ten years. No, there's no doubt. This one's from the general awareness of the sector, mental health sector, ten years ago to what it is now, in in. You know, there's technology and social media and all these things and everyone's an expert now in, in, in the mental health sector and delivering programs or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's there's been royal commissions into the mental health systems in in Victoria, in the fact that it's broken and all this sort of stuff, but we're just, there was a system that's not broken, it was just breaking because it didn't know what the system needed to be, right? Um, and you can never see foresee the future. So... Did well, you... Sorry, when you... Yeah
1: started getting into it or even yeah. when you started getting help did you have shame around it? nah you were just like this is who I am and I'm it. figuring it out the, and more,
0: the more you do it the, the more open people are to those conversations and yeah.
1: starting the charity you were like because I just mean the juxtaposition from AFL where it's like especially when you were playing where it's like that tough yeah. culture were you like yeah. oh what am I doing entering this new world
0: I think more the fact that the more conversations that I was having with people, the more conversations I was getting back of their experiences or thanks for talking about this, you know, someone in my family, you know, that experience that someone's had a connection to a devastation um, or devastating experience over a period of time. Um, and the more open it was, the more reality. More, you know, there's taking away the um, the white jacket syndrome that can come with psychology, which people, you know, prefer to listen to someone who lived experience as opposed to a person that's, you know, um, doing an amazing job in being a psychologist or psychiatrist or someone that's, you know, a mental practitioner or whatever it might be. Um, but our idea of the whole thing when I started the foundation was, I don't want people to go through what I did and if a connection, a conversation, a program, a presentation, a podcast, an event, or whatever it might be, can help that person, one person, not just that one person, and i have done my job and see you later, help those people um, find a way to see how they can be better or feel better, not be better in terms of success of life, but feel better in their emotions and their experiences to move forward, and then that's that's cool. You know, it's a pretty positive experience. I believe. You know, and I get stopped in, I get stopped in shopping malls. I get stopped in, you know, going for walks. I get stopped here and there all the time. And people say, oh, I heard you say this. I heard you here. You know, a part of you. I've been your girlfriend or whatever it might be, and, and said, you know, you've changed my life. Or thanks. Or blah blah blah. And that. Um, you know, from all the experiences that I had from growing up to through high school, through to footy, through to post-footy, and some experiences and, and some behaviours that I put onto people that were inexcusable and, and you know, I apologise profusely all the time to the experiences that I put onto other people from what I was going through. Um, uh, makes me feel a little bit better. It doesn't make me feel the best. But I feel that they're making an impact. Makes me feel a little bit better every single day. But if I can't do it here, <laughs> then you know there's no, there's not the, the foundation's not genuine and it needs to be genuine. We need to have the reality, and we need to have that great connection. Um, you know, and now we, we know what we do well. Uh, you know, we have a Welfare Warrior Training Program, which is a peer support training conversation uh, program, which is literally what we've been talking about right here is about that ability to, okay, so we've acknowledged the situations or experiences that people are having in, in people, but it's how do we start, manage, and exit a conversation. <laughs> That's the program. And, and being able to do that in you know, a in a way that makes it accessible for people to experience those moments and then understand what then support does. What does support look like? For, so you know when you have those moments and those people go panic stage that sort of stuff. How am I going to fix you? It's not about fixing. It's about starting, managing, exit conversation. How do I get that support for you so you can actually go do this? That's our program. We talk about, we do, you know, we do journey presentations, we've got an online platform called the Never Alone Community which is how-to guides from a whole range of different topics and all sorts of stuff but it's creating conversations in there. Um, and then we have a, we do work with a partner of ours that offers free counselling programs. So, you know, for a system that's broken in this country, being able to offer free counselling to people um, no matter what their situation is or what their experience or where they're at in the continuum, um, you know, makes us, f- feel the fact that we're actually making a huge difference in this world
1: amazing
0: yeah that's life that's what we do and we love it so um you know we're we're out we trade my registered trademark around never alone all our programs all our events you know foundational you know we're re- we're we're looking at a, a relaunch of the foundation in terms of being um not called them le- love me love you anymore but the never alone foundation um really sort of bringing it back to the, that positive messaging the fact that we're all in this together mm-hmm. which can be huge
1: and what would your advice be
0: to someone who is at the point
1: that you got to on in 2011? Yeah. And they feel like I'm so deep in this. Like, how can I get from here to where you are now?
0: First of all, it's not about getting to where uh, someone in, partly, not saying anything wrong, but getting to somewhere else, someone. Where someone else is, sort of thing, or where someone else could be, but the fact of okay, let's pull this back. Okay, I think that the the biggest part of this, for in terms of um, something that I would say to people, is the fact that you your your worth is here, right? So your worth is here. Your worth is while. Your worth is here. You have your people, but you love you. You really need to bring you back. Let's make this make this happen. Let's kind okay. Of, let's get down. Let's get the, Let's slow down our process. Let's write down. I think this writing down thing is a huge one for me. Let's write down where we are. What am I experiencing? What am I feeling? And then at the end of it, look at it and go, okay, what do I want to do with it? So, and for a lot of people, you're like, oh, well, that's not going to help me. But I, I'm not trying to fix you in anything. That's going to be said here. But the fact is that you you have your worth, and to the people in this world, in your world, not the world because in the whole world you're a blip but you have your own world and in that you have a huge worth and and people need you you need you to be part of it mm-hmm. yeah let's bring it back
1: yeah I guess sorry, that's yeah. why that it's like looking at you now it's like but you were there someone might be like, but how does that happen? But I guess, yeah, that's the thing. You don't look at <laughs> that no, 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 like, no. That's been like a 10-year journey.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and, and never in my world that I th- would have thought that I would still be doing this in 10 years. That, you know what I mean? Like, so from that moment where we started the foundation to, to the fact that we're doing now and the programs that we're able to offer and the support we're able to offer, um, it's, n- it's not what I pictured it to be.
1: What did you think it would be? I don't know you <laughs> just like, okay. okay no, let's, let's just do this. Let's give it a crack. Let's, let's
0: give it a crack and see what happens. Um, you know, because it was sort of so much unknown, and the world is unknown. Like everything, everything is unknown tomorrow, right? You put all the plans in place, but the outcomes are out unknown. So let's look at what it looks like. So, um, but you know, let's let's understand that life's more about the behaviours than the outcomes, because the outcomes will take care of themselves as much as you possibly can if you put the right behaviours in place. Mm.
1: And yeah, I think that's the thing with writing it down. Like when you are stuck in that place, you're like, well, how would that help me? But it's like, well, what you're doing now isn't helping. So it's like, you've got to try something. And writing, yeah, it's hard to explain it, but that helps me so much. And it's, I guess what we were talking about before, getting you in that moment to say, okay, do something different, like get a piece of paper out, write this stuff down. And
0: the thing is, am I being the person that I want to be right now? This is a hard question to ask yourself, and then there's behaviours or the things that I'm doing—is it helpful or harmful? And it's as simple as we need, to, uh, and we need to slow that down and make that be able to be uh, honest with that. I right? um, said, so write that down. You can scrunch it up and put it in the bin, or you can put it, you know, light it up or flame it up. What do you want to do? Um, write down your experiences because you keep those experiences and those thoughts and those questions inside your head inter- internally. It becomes a rat race, and then you become dizzy and then you become overwhelmed with the experience. Let's bring it back, slow it down, get it out.
1: And on your yeah. road to recovery, I guess, yeah. were there moments where you attempted to slip back, or did you ever slip back, or it was kind of.
0: No, nah. no. Nah. I um I talked about it before right this inspiration that you know people put out this inspiration all sort of stuff you, you, you find your own motivation in life right so whatever that purpose what is, what's your reason why and you keep attaching yourself to your reason why and you're affirming yourself all the time what your reason why is and what you, where you want to go um, then you find your motivation no matter what the challenges are no matter what, where life what whatever outcomes come your way is that you find your motivation to keep moving forward um, you know, there was there's there's to say that I don't think about drugs and alcohol would be a lie. I think about it. And I don't think that I need to do it or I want to do it or I I'm scared of the fact that if, of what that world would look like if I opened it up. Um I'm hugely fearful. But I motivate myself, as I said, every single day to be able to say what is it the thing that I need to do to make myself that little bit better? So I'm not breaking as much. Yeah, we we're always breaking. From the day we're born we're actually preparing to die right that's how it works but if i can actually better manage my system so i'm not breaking as much and i'm actually putting myself into an empowering position moving forward then let's go um you know life is a life is a battle life is a struggle but there's so many more there's so many opportunities of love and care and connection and and you know they're all all the things that what life is all about because you know when, when we talk about mental health as a concept and you know, I talk about this a lot is the fact that it's measured between the energy between multiple people. The, the the If I'm actually investing in here and the relationships and the experience that I have with my my people that are important to me, the better off I'm going to be because then when I'm by myself I still feel that support and love and care that's around me. When I invest in that, then it becomes lonely. It becomes a really sort of sad place for me. Um, and it's not to do it through thousands of people all over the world to be able to have that connection. I have my crew, I have my family, and that's the most important people into my life. And I make sure I invest in them. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Can good. I ask you the last, last Qu- three
1: quick? Okay. Ones. Quick one. Um, okay. I guess we've already touched on this, but what, how do you stay grounded day to day? How? do you stay
0: grounded, like what's grounded. the most important I think the, 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 the biggest practice for me is just spending time with my kids and my wife. That's how I stay grounded. The reason why I'm still living is because of my wife the reason why I want to create uh, an impact in opportunities of life through the foundation and other opportunities that we're about to launch into this year um, uh, is the legacy of my kids and you know I see the opportunities of opening up a world with them, not to them, opening up a world with them. Um, is what keeps me grounded every day. Which book had the biggest has had the biggest influence on you? <laughs> um, I read a book called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway." by Suzanne Jeffries, I think her name is. And I'm not a reader. Um, at all, and but it was one. It was one of those books that I was reading at the time, and I've done it a number of times and experiences. That's probably had a big impact on me. And as I said there was there was a Buddhism book, and I can't even remember the name of it. And it was like literally not even hundred pages, and that opened me up so much
1: damn i want to know what it yeah,
0: is yeah <laughs> i just i yeah i couldn't remember what i was but i read a whole range it would have been 15 buddhism books different types of books that i would have read at the time but there was this one that was better hundred pages. i remember it was my first book that i opened up to it and I was like, Oh, let's go more yeah
1: amazing okay final yeah. question what three words describe the best version of you
0: best version of me strong vulnerable caring amazing yeah Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Wait, how can people find well, your work? Yeah, it's, it's Same. It's yeah, all over social media. Yeah, um, website at Uh As I said, we, we're going through a process at the moment uh, to relaunch into the Never Alone Foundation. So, But all the, all the social media, which is obviously I talked about before, being the devil for some, um, you use the right way. It's a, it's a great place of connection and it can be the angel for a lot of people. So. Amazing. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good conversation.